Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about the movie All About Eve, which is a 1950 drama written and directed by Joseph Mankiewicz and produced by Daryl Zanuck. Mankiewicz directed, among many others, um, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, People Will Talk, The Barefoot Contessa, Guides and Dolls, and Cleopatra, and Zanuck likewise produced dozens and dozens of films over the course of his career. Uh, this film stars Betty Davis as Broadway star Margot Channing and Anne Baxter as ambitious actress Eve Harrington. And the cast also includes Celeste Holm as Margot's friend, Karen Richards, Hugh Marlowe as Karen's husband and Margot's playwright, Lloyd Richards, Thelma Ritter as Margot's maid, personal assistant, confidant. <laughs> it was very unclear what her specific <laughs> role was. <laughs> Possible, some, I don't know, who knows, Birdie. Gary Merrill as Margot's boyfriend um, and director, Bill Sampson. Um, and George Sanders as theater critic, Addison DeWitt. The movie was based on a 1946 short story called The Wisdom of Eve, which was written by Mary Orr. Although Mary uh, Orr and the short story received no screen credit hmm. for the story. So here's the plot. Every night when Karen uh, arrives at the stage door at the theater where Margot is currently starring in Lloyd Richards' play, she spies a young woman, and one night this young woman speaks to her. Karen is so moved by the woman's devotion to Margot uh, and to the theater that she invites this woman, Eve Harrington, to Margot's dressing room, where everyone is likewise sufficiently moved by Eve's story that Margot has Eve move into her own home and hires and hires her, maybe hires her, maybe just has her live in, I don't know, as her assistant. A strange arrangement of some sort. (laughs) Eve quickly makes herself indispensable, though Margot begins to have some misgivings about the arrangement, including believing that her boyfriend Bill and Eve are having an affair. Uh, Margot asks her producer, Max Fabian, to hire Eve at his office, but instead Eve manages through some behind-the-scenes dealings, to become Margot's understudy without Margot's knowledge. As Margot's irritation grows, Karen starts to feel sorry for Eve, and in hopes of humbling Margot, who, like most Broadway stars, has a gigantic ego, Karen arranges for her Margot to miss a performance of Lloyd's play so that Eve will have to give the performance in her place. And then the plot thickens. That's somewhat complicated. (laughs) Trying to figure out what the synopsis for this movie was was kind of complicated. Do you have any trivia? Yes, I do. And actually, the writer that you mentioned, Mary Orr, who wrote the story, this is based on something that really happened to an actress, (laughs) a Broadway actress named Elizabeth Bergner. And she supposedly told Mary Orr that she allowed a young fan to become part of her household and employed her as an assistant, but that the woman attempted to undermine her, so she regretted it. I don't think it was as dramatic as no. what happens in All About Eve. Let's but hope not. Bergner referred to her as, quote, the terrible girl. She used it as the basis for her short story, The Wisdom of Eve, and or played up how terrible the person was for the story. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Betty Davis fell in love with her co-star, Gary Merrill, who played Bill, um, during the shoot of this movie, and they married in July 1950. Um, just after the movie was completed, and they adopted a baby girl who they named Margot. Oh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> but then they got divorced ten years later. Oh my God. Celeste Holm, who played Karen in this, 
said of her experience working with Betty Davis that on the first day of shooting, quote, I walked onto the set on the first day and said, good morning. And do you know her reply? She said, oh shit, good manners. I never spoke to her again, ever. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so, seems like there was some drama on the set. And then, years later, Betty Davis said in an interview, filming All About Eve was a very happy experience. The only bitch in the cast was Celeste Holm. <laughs> So, and actually from what I read, even though Betty Davis had this reputation for being so difficult to work with, she was not that way in this movie. She stuck to the script and the director had a good experience working with her. So, I guess she was... For once, she yeah. wasn't She wasn't the bitch. There were no. other bitches. Yeah, I know. I was like, I feel like she probably wasn't that bad. <laughs> this movie holds the record for the most female acting Oscar nominations in a single film. Yeah. So Anne Baxter and Betty Davis were nominated for Best Actress, and Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter were nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, it was the first time two actresses from one film were both Oscar nominated for Best Actress. And actually, Anne Baxter, she had she won already for Supporting Actress, so she lobbied really hard to be nominated in this role for Best Actress. And <laughs> I'm yeah. making incredulous eyes. <laughs> um, in, in Life Imitating Art. Yes. <laughs> but she basically ruined it for both her and Betty Davis because she split the votes and then neither of them got it, even though this is considered one of the best movies of all time. And Betty Davis's performance is considered one of the best performances of all time. So thanks, Ann Baxter, for ruining that. Life imitating art. (laughs) Betty Davis's marriage at the time to William Grant Sherry was in the throes of breaking up while they were making this film. Which I... Was cause or effect of her falling in love with? Unclear. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently they had such terrible arguments that she burst a blood vessel yelling at him. Oh my god. (laughs) And that's why her voice was so raspy in this movie. Um, But the director just liked it and worked with it. So (laughs) I thought it was just like a cool sounding raspy voice. Yeah. Um... Betty Davis apparently filmed all her scenes for this movie in 16 days. Which... That's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is She couldn't have been that terrible because she... Yeah, she got stuffed up. That's that's a lot of scenes. (laughs) Um, And Margaret Channing's famous cocktail dress was made by Edith Head. And right before they were about to film that cocktail party scene, they found that the dress didn't fit right. So Betty Davis just like pulled it off her shoulders and that's why it was an off the shoulder dress. And actually, I mean, we'll talk about it in costumes, but I, that was my favorite yeah. costume of the whole movie. So that, that's a lot of trivia, but um, do you want to tell us a little bit about Addison DeWitt? Yes, Addison DeWitt. So Addison DeWitt was played by George Sanders, who was born in July 1906 in, of all places, St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh. I... Could not find an explanation why. But, so with the outbreak of the Russian Revolution in 1917, his family moved to England, where George attended Brighton College and Manchester Technical College. Um, His brother was actor Tom Conway, which I had to do a double take when I found that in you know, in my research, because I, in my head I thought of Tim Conway, who was on the Carol <laughs> Burnett show. Not the same guy. Um, 
So George Sanders, you know, went to school and then began a career in the textile in textile research. Then moved to South America, where he managed a tobacco plantation. So he's now three careers in. And then, so with the Depression, he had to go back to England, where he worked at an advertising agency, where the the like company secretary was the aspiring actress Greer Garson, who suggested that he take up a career in acting. So, thanks a lot, Greer Garson. <laughs> Um, he learned how to sing and got a role on stage in uh, the play Balhu. Work began to work regularly on the stage throughout the 1930s um, and then made uh, several British films that were distributed through 20th Century Fox. Fox then cast Sanders as the villain in a number of movies beginning with 1936's uh, Lloyds of London and his smooth upper class English accent, his sleek manner, and his suave superior attitude and somewhat threatening air made him in demand for American fil- films for years to come. This is like totally the character that he played in All About Eve. Like that's just you know, yeah, it's his that type. was exact. I mean, <laughs> when your last name is Dewitt, yes, yes. <laughs> Dewitt, <laughs> you're gonna be smooth and slightly sinister. Lloyds of London was successful, and also the first movie that he played the villain for Tyrone Powers' uh, hero, and that sort of set the stage for more of that pairing um, for, I think, the next couple of decades. And so Fox put Sanders under contract, and he went on to play this mix of villains and heroes throughout the late 1930s and 1940s, including playing an American Nazi in the movie The Confessions of a Nazi Spy. He was in Re- Hitchcock's Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent. And then he played uh, the lead in an, an A film called The Moon and Sixpence in 1942, which was based on the W. Somerset Mom book. And then he was a pirate villain in The Black Swan, opposite Tyrone Power. And then appeared in a couple of other movies for Fox. He he was in a lot of movies, and <laughs> anything that like you read about him on the internet is just like a list of movies that he was in. Um, he worked. He had a three film contract with RKO. He was the third lead in the movie The Ghost of Mi- and Mrs. Muir um, with Gene Tierney and Rex Harrison. I've never seen that movie, and that needs to be on our list. I think I love that movie, okay. and we haven't done a Gene Tierney movie. I mean, any movie where you fall in love with a ghost sure. who's an old sea captain is kind of like, <laughs> I feel like that's my wheelhouse, so like, let's add that. Okay, we're doing it. So then he was in, he was cast as Charles II in an expensive blockbuster called Forever Amber in 1949, um, and then he played a villain in Cecil B. DeMille's biblical epic Samson and Delilah, which mm-hmm. was the most popular movie of the year. So he, he won an Academy Award for Best Actor for All About Eve, um, which came out in 1950, and it was after that, as he continued to act throughout the 1950s and 1960s, that he increasingly received supporting roles rather than leading roles, including he um, voiced Sher Khan in the 1967 Disney production of The Jungle Book. What? Even though he had a singing background, he refused to do the singing for Sher Khan for some reason. I don't know, but... So he was the speaking voice, um, not the singing voice. So in addition to being a prolific actor, he was also a prolific husband. Uh, in 1940, he married a woman named Susan Larson, whose real name was Elsie Poole. I don't know. 
They divorced in 1949, and later that same year, he married um, Zsa Zsa Gabor, <laughs> to whom he was married until 1954. And then a few years after their divorce, they starred uh, together in the film Death of a Scoundrel. And then in 1959, he married Benita Hume, who was the widow of actor Ronald Coleman. She died in 1967. And then his last marriage was to Magna Gabor, who was the elder sister of his second wife, Zsa Zsa. That marriage only lasted 32 days, um, after which he began drinking heavily. And in his later years, uh, he suffered from dementia, and in 1972, he checked into a hotel in a coastal town outside of Barcelona and swallowed the contents of five bottles of barbi- the barbiturate Nembutol. Five bottles! <laughs> How do you even get to the fifth, like, after, after, like, three, aren't you done? Like, yeah, how are you still conscious? <laughs> I don't know. I'm laughing, it's terrible. I read that Zsa Gabor visited the set a lot during the filming because she was jealous of his scenes with Marilyn Monroe and thought that he would cheat on her with Marilyn Monroe, who was, like, a nobody at the time. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe was so young and beautiful at this movie, and, like, not to be mean to George Saunders, but, like, he was kind of older, so, like, why yeah. would she be... I mean, I don't know. He was, like, 45, almost, right? 44? Old. He's yeah. old. He's over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I will tell you about Ann Baxter. Yeah, tell me all about her. She was born in Michigan City, Indiana in 1923 and was the granddaughter of Frank Lloyd Wright. Yes. Did you know that? I, I did not know that until this morning when Jen started poking around the internet and had to announce this to me. Yeah, I was shocked by that. I did not know. Um, her- <laughs> I knew I liked her and her Midwestern roots. <laughs> Her parents moved to New York when she was 11, and she then got interested in acting and appeared on stage by age 13, and she was well-received and was able to get into this famous acting school, and she studied with Maria Auspunskaya. Sure. (laughs) Who, I guess, was like a big acting teacher at the time, and then made her film debut in 20 Mule Team in 1940. I think she was only 17 at the time, um, and that was considered, like, a really good get for a total unknown like that when most people had to pay their dues and, like, be extras for years and stuff. Um, she became a contract player of 20th Century Fox and was loaned out to, loaned out to RKO Pictures for a role in Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons in 1942. That was one of her biggest movies. And then in 1947, she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Sophie McDonald in The Razor's Edge. In 1951, she received the Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for the title role in All About Eve. But obviously did not get it. Nope. (laughs) They're her own fault. (laughs) She worked with some of, like, the best directors of the time, including Alfred Hitchcock in I Confess... Fritz Lang in The Blue Gardenia, and Cecil B. DeMille in The Ten Commandments, in which she played Queen Nefertiri. And that was the only other movie I think I'd seen her in besides this. But she was really good in that role and looked incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Uh, After The Ten Commandments, her film opportunities grew fewer, and she appeared more on stage and in television. But she actually wasn't very concerned with that change because... She really didn't care that much about celebrity, but just took acting really seriously. So 
her feeling was like as long as she was able to do good performances and get work she didn't really care. Uh, she eventually became a staple of the television series East of Eden in 1981 and a hotel in 1983 and her final appearance was as Irene Adler in the TV film Sherlock Holmes and the Masks of Death in 1984. Yeah. Uh, on December 12, 1985, she died of a stroke in New York at age 62. So young. Yeah. But she started acting so young that she really did a lot, yeah. like, over the span of that oh, career. Oh, yeah. So, like, almost 50 years of, of a career, right? Yeah. She started at 13. It's interesting, because in this movie, she did such a good job that I kind of felt like I disliked the actress and Baxter just because I disliked Eve. Yeah, totally. Well, and this is the first movie that I had... I think this is the first movie I've seen with Anne Baxter in it. And so, I, I don't know if I like her, because Eve is such a terrible person. She is. Hello. I mean, I guess we're, we're getting into it now. <laughs> I really struggled with overall, like, how to read this movie in yeah. terms of, okay, because, like, I just really disliked Eve the whole time. Yeah. And I felt much more sympathy to Margot, even though, you know, she wasn't that a super great person either. But um, I feel like the movie could also be read about and. Like an ambitious woman going after what she wants and getting it. Yeah. In like some people would say, you know, why should we dislike her for doing that? Yeah. Well, and if she were a man, there wouldn't be any question about it. Yeah, would be... they would just be like, oh yeah, well, she's a leader. Yeah. <laughs> or he's a leader. <laughs> he's a leader. <laughs> he's using his skills. <laughs> so I had seen this movie before, but I'm curious as to your take on it. Well, so I didn't, I like sort of intentionally did not look to see like what the synopsis was. I didn't know what this movie was about. I wasn't really sure who was in it except for, you know, the little bit of conversation we had had ahead of time. And I, I guess I knew that Betty Davis was in it, but I also like had this feeling that Joan Crawford was in it. So that was like the, de mm -hmm. like how much I did not know about this movie. I just assumed it was one of their. Um, <laughs> I think she was considered for the role of Margot. Oh, oh yeah. And also Ingrid Bergman was. I saw that. <laughs> I, was like, I cannot imagine Ingrid Bergman <laughs> playing that part. No. There's somebody else who... Oh, and Jean Crane was supposed to be in the Ann Baxter part. So can you imagine oh. Ingrid Bergman and Jean Crane? And they're like... Totally different movie. <laughs> totally different movie. I saw, and Marlena Dietrich <laughs> was <laughs> considered... And then they said, no, she's too German. She's too German. You can't have a German person in this. She would have been good in it, I think. Yeah. I mean... But, I mean, Betty Davis, like... You, can't really top that performance. No. I mean, I would see any version of this movie with any of those actors. Maybe. Yeah. Hands down. It had Cary Grant in it somehow. That would be a <laughs> perfect movie. I was sort of blown away at how good the writing was in this. Like, every... there, Jen also had never seen this movie, and she was watching it with me, and she had sort of, sort of had a lukewarm, like, I'll watch it with you, and then I'll go to bed or whatever. And that's because we were watching it later at night. And, and about a third of the way through, we, you know, paused it to, you know, get water or whatever, and and... You know, she was like, we got to watch the rest of it. And, you know, like, the writing is amazing. And um, there were moments where, I, like, I wanted to pause it, just rewind it and, and rewind it like it was a VHS. Um, <laughs> you know, because the, the dialogue was just so crisp and mm -hmm. so, like, so complicated and complex. And, you know, like, really doing lots of different things at, at once. You know, I feel like once, once the movie really got going, like... It sort of unfolded at a nice pace and sort of with perfect structure where, like, the plot thickened at after an hour and then 
after the second hour, it was like we're almost to the climax, and some some shit is gonna hit the fan, and then it did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the pacing was really good. Yeah, it was so nicely written. I mean, the the dialogue it. It did seem like the kind of thing where you would have to go back and listen to it a couple times just to get all of the nuance, because it was so fast yeah. and so witty, especially Margot's lines. But then Eve's lines were also, you know, having two meanings that a lot of time you didn't get until later in the movie, so yeah. there, there, was, there was a lot to get out of that. Yeah. I had seen this movie years ago and really liked it. Just I just think it's so interesting. I also I tend to like plots around theater Mm -hmm. so I liked that whole backstage feel to it yeah well and there are so many of those like scenes where they were they were playing it on the stage yeah like one of the moments where she like where Eve has done like that the reading as the understudy and people discover like that she's a good actor and then like this huge long thing plays out on stage like, on the set of the play. It's just, like, a neat, like, multi-layered play within a movie kind of thing. Well, the most improbable aspect of the whole thing to me was that they would all just, like, be taken with this rando and be like, let's invite you into our lives. Yeah. Like, she was just, she was just a fan. Yes. Kind of a crazy-seeming fan. Yeah, To, like, totally show crazy. up all the time. Like, that would be stalker <laughs> behavior today. And totally crazy. Then they were all like, no, like, I'm gonna bring you back to see this person you're obsessed with. Oh, you know what? Like, you should come live with me. Oh, and her quote-unquote tragic backstory that she made up wasn't even that bad. Like, okay, so she grew up poor, and she married someone who died in the war. That's, like... The story of, like, maybe 40% of American women at yeah, that time. At that time. <laughs> well, which I loved, like, this is shooting towards the end when Addison, like, confronts her about this backstory, which, spoiler alert, is made up. And, like, I loved that his response to that was, like, you're that's an insult to the people who have actually experienced that tragedy. I loved yeah. that it was... I don't know. I love that I agreed with that. I feel like I agreed <laughs> 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 so often people are just terrible in these movies that we talk about. <laughs> well, and if you were going to make up a tragic backstory, wouldn't you just really, like, take it to the next level? Like, yeah. I'm an orphan, yeah. and, like, I was shuffled around to different orphanages, and, like, I never saw a movie, and then yeah. one day... So, you know, yeah. like, I would have milked that. Right. But. Yeah, milk it. As, yeah, if you're going to make it up, make it up. <laughs> I thought that Eve was a really great villain because my absolute favorite villains of all time are all people like that where they insinuate themselves into people's lives by acting subservient. Yeah. Like, um, like a Uriah Heep from Dickens kind of thing where it's like, oh yes, I'm serving you until suddenly I take over your entire life and you're at my mercy. That's basically what happened in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's terrifying, and <laughs> she's horrible, and yet, like, it's kind of so artfully done that you can see, like, her that how far she's thought of to, you know, to a point she's, like, thought ahead to, like, figure out what the, what she needs to do in order to get ahead. It's amazing that it worked. Mm-hmm. Even just her acting humble and modest and self-deprecating all the time, you would think to people like that who are used to being around very worldly, clever people that that would not be so appealing. Yeah. But they all ate it up. Yeah. Well, and I guess that she was playing right into their, like, 
you know, this notion that, like, theater people are self-obsessed and, like, mm-hmm. if she took the tack of, of just, you know, like, oh, Margot, you're the center of my universe. I'm obsessed with you and whatever. <laughs> and no one's, she's not going to argue with that. <laughs> Didn't you think that the whole central problem could have been avoided if once Margot kind of was on to her, she had just fired her. Yes. <laughs> like, that was the one thing that I didn't get. If she's sort of acting as her assistant or living with her, and then she starts to suspect something's off, if it were me, I would just be like, look, I don't want you in my house. Yeah. Well, doesn't she try to do that? She tries, she gets the producer, she, you know, she gets the producer to promise to make, to put her on his staff in his in his office. So she, like, tries to do that. I mean, drunkenly and, like, (laughs) the best drunk acting that I've seen in a while. But at the same time, Eve is getting totally playing Karen and gets Karen to to use her status as the wife of the playwright to make Eve the understudy without telling Margot, which seems unlikely. I actually thought that the most tragic character in this was Karen. I know. I know. (laughs) And it was interesting seeing this movie after we watched Please Don't Eat the Daisies, which also has a film critic as like a central figure and then a wife of a theater person. Yeah. Like a housewife. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Because it's kind of like Karen is in that world, but she's not totally Mm -hmm. accepted. And at one point Margot dresses her down and basically says that she's you're nothing. nothing. Yeah. Although it was neat, there were some moments, I wrote, made myself a note about how I sort of liked that there was this character who was sort of outside of the theater world as sort of a, you know, an, an outsider who could give an outside opinion. But, oh, I said she's an informed outsider and she's slick in her way, but it just turns out that Eve is slicker. Yeah. I thought that was kind of nasty what Karen did. About them running out of gas. Oh, yeah. It's totally... She should have known better that that would have... I mean, I guess she didn't know that Eve was, like, such a good actor and would have been so conniving to, like, get all the media to come. Yeah. Although, I don't know how theater worked in those times, but how do you get critics to come back after they've, like, initially reviewed a show? Yeah. Like, why would they come for an understudy? Yeah. That seemed not believable to me. I wrote down... Eve is the original single white female. <laughs> um, oh my god, yes. I thought there were some funny things throughout, like, just about how much they trusted her right away. Yeah. Bill's flying to California, and she comes with them to the airport, and she was like, let me take care of your your luggage and everything, so you guys can have a moment. And they just hand over their luggage and his plane ticket to her. Yeah. In what universe would you do that? I know. What? <laughs> they literally just met her. Yeah, right before they get in the cab to go to the airport. They I, deserve every... Yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I really liked some of the film techniques. Like, in the very beginning, they're all talking about Eve at this award ceremony and you don't see her right away but you just see her hands Mm -hmm. in the beginning and I thought that was great and the shot at the end of the film with the three-way mirror yeah and that teenage girl like dressing up in Eve's clothes and all and just going on infinity I thought that was so cool because it was kind of like this message of basically there's always something someone coming Mm -hmm. for you when you're a woman in that industry it had so much to say about being a woman an aging woman yeah in the acting world and it's like you fall off a cliff and there's always someone younger and fresher people are get sick of you yeah 
It was so interesting to me that this movie was written by a man. That it, yeah. like, it seemed so, it seemed to hit that nail on the head so, so well that it was surprising to me that it was written by a man. He also took it from a short story written by a woman, so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Based on a real woman's experience. I felt bad for Margot, And I actually said to Mike while we were watching it, like, the way she acts so jealous, it just kind of, like, goes off the rails and throws a tantrum. There's a part of me that almost, like, admires people who are that open about their feelings. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I'm jealous and upset, so I'm gonna, like, let everyone know it. Yeah, and you all know exactly what I'm... Well, and I love that Karen, I mean, for as much as I, like, felt bad for her, I felt like she did Margot a bad turn by getting rid of the gas. I love that Karen also, when Margot was starting to get upset at the party Karen says to Margo like oh are you just beginning are you is this are you wrapping it up because clearly <laughs> they are really good friends and yeah. like they Karen knows how to deal with despite it all she she was really on Margot's side but had just had had enough of her yeah I mean it would be tough to be around someone like that all the time yeah I'm more the kind of person who plays it Basically, if you do that, you're admit- admitting to everyone that you care. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm much more likely to be like, I don't care. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Don't, and then, like, silently fume. <laughs> um, what did you think about all of the the references to movies, actors, and there was a moment at the very beginning of the movie where Bill and Margot are, ha- like, having a, like, a back and forth in the first time that we see them together, and... Mm-hmm. Margot gives Bill sort of a chides him for doing something, and Bill's response is, everybody can't be Gregory Peck. (laughs) And then later on, like, they're at the party, and there's, like, they're dropping names of... I think they even dropped Zanuck's name. Oh, really? Like, the producer of this movie. And it sort of goes back to what you were saying about, like, movies that are about the theater. It's, like, totally about this profession. Yeah, I mean, I thought that lended authenticity to it. But it does also go to that, I mean, this is a stereotype that's still true now about Hollywood, is that they like making movies about themselves. Yeah. So, I think, I mean, this is considered such a great movie, but it really is like, we're going to make movies about actors and how great they are. (laughs) How amazing they are and how hard their life is. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, What did you think of young Marilyn Monroe? Um, She was so young and... Tiny unbroken, and little and yeah, unbroken. <laughs> I thought she was funny in the she role. She was so funny. So we talked about how like this could be seen as a woman being ambitious, and and it it pits Margot against Eve. But then I think the thing that keeps this from being a feminist movie is the fact that Addison Dewitt, yeah, it's is actually controlling everybody's lives. Yeah, he's controlling everyone. He actually says to. Eve at the end, like, you belong to me, which I don't know what that means. Like, in what way does she belong to him? I was like, is this like a sexual thing? Is this... Are they getting married now? (laughs) The first time I watched it, I remember thinking that they were getting married. Yeah. But this this time, I don't think they actually say that they're getting married. I think he's just blackmailing her. Right? Because he knows what the real story is, and he knows that she's been conniving and basically giving the other characters the runaround, and so in order for him not to ruin whatever potential career she can have, he's saying, like, you you are not going to marry Lloyd, you are going to, you're going to do what I tell you to do, basically. Yeah. Which is horrible. Yeah, it was really horrible. 
And you could tell that he just loved the drama. He was one of those people who loves drama in real life, too. Like, mm-hmm. when everyone's fighting. So he liked that she created the- <laughs> Yeah, he was kind of... He was in his element, it seemed like. Yeah. Well, and it also just showed how, like, there were all these men. I mean, not just him, but, like, the other men in the movie. They didn't have to be concerned about the same things the women did of, like oh, am I aging out of this? Or, like, do people still like me? None of them cared about that. They could keep working and doing whatever they needed to do. So the women were struggling and, like, fighting amongst themselves. And the men were just pulling the strings. Yeah. Although, what did you think about Lloyd and Bill? Lloyd is Karen's husband, and Bill eventually becomes Margot's husband. And... Like, they seemed like different kinds of men than Addison. Like, Addison yeah. was sinister, but they... Well, it was not clear to me from the movie and from what I read afterwards whether or not Lloyd really said he was... Like, if the the story Eve made up about him saying he was going to leave Karen and, like, come marry her was true. Yeah, it seems like that's not true. It seems like Eve made that up. And if that's, yeah, because I was going to say, like, if he was leaving her, yes. <laughs> then probably not a good guy. He's a terrible man. <laughs> but they did all kind of get obsessed with Eve and clearly yeah. liked her. I actually thought, in some ways, Bill was the best man in the yeah. movie. And I didn't even like him that much. No. But <laughs> but it was sweet that he, like, he, like, came to her and wanted her to, wanted Margot to realize that he loved her and would marry her in an instant and didn't care that she was older. Yeah, and it it also seemed like they were both professionals who sort of respected each other's careers and were supporting each other, and he had the opportunity to cheat on her with Eve. Yeah. And he really wasn't interested in Eve. He was telling the truth. Yeah, which I like. I like. And then in the end, I mean, when, when she got the bad review from Addison... He came immediately and was like, I'm here to support you. And then they got married. Yeah. So. It's a comedy. <laughs> it ends in a wedding. And he yeah. kind of only put up with her nonsense up to a point, which yeah. is, I think, how you deal with people like that. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, knew how to deal with it in a way that was, like, still loving, but, like, sort of healthy. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't find him very appealing. No. No, he was kind of, he was fine. But he was. He wasn't for me. He's no Gregory Peck. (laughs) Yeah, he was right when he said that. Oh, beautiful girl. What a gorgeous creature. Beautiful girl. Let me call a preacher. What can I do? But give my heart to you. Do you want to talk about the costumes? Yes. I just want to talk about that dress some more. Oh, that dress was so fabulous. I just, I loved it. I also thought it was interesting how the first scene you see Margot in is, like, her without her wig. Yeah. And, like, not very glamorous. Yeah. And so, yet she's so glamorous. She's so beautiful in that, like, the way that she's holding herself. Yeah, her confidence. She she was just great. Okay, this is in costumes, but we already talked about her in Now Voyager, and this just makes me think, Betty Davis is the best actress I have ever seen. Yeah. When I was a kid and loved Ingrid Bergman and Greta Garbo, I was fiercely, like, insistent that Ingrid Bergman was, like, the best act- actress of that era, and now that we have seen Now Voyager and All About Eve, I was wrong. <laughs> She's just so... I mean, those are such different roles. Yeah. And she was amazing in both of them. 
Yeah. Yes. So I just I'm throwing down the gauntlet to like any <laughs> any other actor out there who wants to prove it to us. Yeah, but she's but not the best one. She was wonderful. She looked great in all the clothes. Yeah. Like every scene. She looked fabulous. I wasn't as much of a fan of Eve's no. fancy dresses. I did think it was like in the the first scene you see her where she's in the sort of rumpled trench coat and hat. Yeah. I thought that was a good way to introduce her, that that was appropriate. Um, and the men's clothes didn't really stick out to me that much. No. You had that one outfit that was, I think, a suit. Maybe it was a dress, but it was like obviously two, the top was two layers, one that was sort of lacy around her, like her shoulders and like higher, it had a higher neck than the like over dress. Mm -hmm. So it was, it almost seemed like it was like this lacy, I don't know anything about clothes, but like (laughs) a lacy like tunic underneath and then like a stiffer jacket or like top that was sort of, I don't know, she pulled it off, but I was like, how is she, what is she wearing, and what? <laughs> it does not look comfortable. No. It or breathable. Looks, no. <laughs> like, too formal, but, or something, I don't know. Yeah. I also, um, this is not clothes, but I was not a fan of her haircut. No. It was weird. It, I kept, like, looking at it and thinking, is it long in, in some spots, and she has it pulled back, or is it just short all over? Yeah. It was hard to tell. And well, especially when she like ripped the wig off yeah. and when she was mad in the dressing room and then it was sort of all over the place and it seemed like it was short, but it seemed like it hadn't been short. Like, Yeah, I, I was confused by that, but I didn't like it. Um, Margot's hair was very nice. Yeah, Margot's hair was nice. Well, and there were all those scenes where she was like brushing it. Yeah, you know? and I was like, how can you do that and it still looks good? <laughs> well, like curly haired girl here where like, if a brush comes near, like, it turns into a bush, so. <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. What, did you think there was a social justice message? Mm, no. Yeah, I didn't really either. Unless it was, like, a subversive yeah. type of thing. It's not really justice, though, but at the age standards that women are held to mm-hmm. that make them feel like, even if they're, it, that's so internalized, that even if the people around them are saying, like, look, you're you're still in the prime of life, you're still beautiful, you're still, you know, like, acting, you can, you're, it's believable that you're playing, you know, characters that are 15 years younger than you are, like, yeah. you're still at the top of your game. It's so internalized that, you know, that Margot would still say, like, no, you know, I'm dying and my career mm-hmm. is fading and no one cares about me. And Addison totally picked up on that yeah. and, you know, put salt in the wound. Yeah. By saying, I mean, there you when you read about, like, theater history, there are certain people who are sort of considered jokes because they were still playing, yeah. like, roles that were teenagers when they should have been playing, like, Lady Macbeth or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and you don't hear it as much with the men. No. I mean, there's definitely a double standard. Which still exists. Yeah. Like, Has not changed. There's basically no no roles. I mean, it's getting a little better, but if you are, like, between sort of 40 and 60, there's really not a lot of roles. Yeah. Which is very sad. Which is why we need more women to be writing and directing right. and producing. Actually, that reminds me of, speaking of Ingrid Bergman, when I was a kid, I was always so sad that there were, there was a, towards the end of her life, Ingrid Bergman was not, she didn't have very good roles. She didn't have very many good roles, and she didn't have very 
good roles. The ones that she had, they were just sort of ridiculous. And including Cactus Flower, which we, I don't, it's too late for our podcast, but where she plays this ridiculous character that is clearly supposed to be 10 years younger than she actually is. I always interpreted that as, you know, she was, you know, just not as good anymore and her star was falling and, Mm -hmm. you know, no one wanted to give her the roles when really, like, now I realize it's that there were no roles. Yeah. And, you know, no one was writing roles for, you know, a 52-year-old Ingrid Bergman, which is, like, such a waste because mm-hmm. we could have had movies, I mean, for any of these these actors who spent their later years playing supporting roles. Yeah, or nothing. Yeah. Or maybe going back to the state. Yeah, it is really sad because, I mean, those are the people who would have the best craft. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know that it's getting better. People were complaining recently that Jennifer Lawrence was too old for roles. She's like, what, 26? I don't know. Yeah, she's not, she's not old enough to be too old for anything yet. One of my biggest movie pet peeves, and it is true in the classic movies, it is true now, is how the age of the female romantic lead is always, like, in their 20s. Yeah. And it does not matter if the male, like, they, they'll they be, like, 25 years apart. But it's always that way. Yeah. Like, it's not just like, oh, it happened to be this way in this particular movie. It's just, this is how it always is. And this yeah. is what you should expect the world to be like. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, tangentially, some social justice. In there. <laughs> I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Did you think the movie passed the Bechdel test? Yes, I do. Because they were not talking about men. They were... <laughs> I mean, there were some. There was some talk here and there about um, about Bill yeah. and Lloyd. But for the most part, you know, it was all about careers and acting. And it wasn't like yeah. the most rational <laughs> conversation sometimes, but it was... Or the most productive, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's talking about how terrible Eve is, but it was not about men. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was nice that it, that it was two female leads yeah. in this movie, too. Yeah. And meaty roles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, like, Karen's role is pretty, I mean, there's a lot to it. Yeah, I mean, really, they were the three main characters. Yeah, which is nice. And they're not related, because every other movie we watched oh, yeah. that passed the Bechdel test, it was family. That's right, I'm not, like... Like Little Women. Yeah. So we're getting we're getting somewhere. So what would you rate this? <laughs> Yay, <movie>? all about Eve. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's so hard. I just feel like I would set the bar really high for five, but but maybe a five. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I might give it a five because there's nothing there's nothing major that I would change about it. Really, like it's well written, well acted, well directed. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Is this our first five? I, I think it's the first five that we both agreed on that it was a five and that was not like a, elevated by like nostalgia. I don't think I've given anything a five. No, yet. you're really good at, yeah, about being like very judicious with you. <laughs> what did you give one? To? I'm sure I gave it to like Ninotchka. Or like The Bachelor of the Bobby I'm Sox. Sh- actually, I'm sure I did. <laughs> We should, I should go back and see if I gave The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer a five, because I'm sure that I did. <laughs> well, I, I think I gave, like, An American in Paris a four or something, <laughs> and that was mostly just because I like Gene Kelly, so. <laughs> For the dancing. It's very subjective. That's right. So, you know, we don't have any, I mean, we have standards, but there are standards, so. For the first time ever, we are in accord that this movie is a five. <laughs> yes.
the new best movie we've seen. And what is our next movie, Hillary? Our next movie is Gone with the Wind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that so and that's gonna be a it's two part two parter because because Gone with the Wind. Because Gone with the Wind. Because there's an intermission in the movie. Yes. We are taking that intermission and milking it for all it's worth. Yes. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all... Tomorrow is another day.